Welcome to the Criterion Chat, a podcast about cinema and the Criterion Collection. I'm Matt Peterson, joined by Nate Myers. Tonight, we head west with the Earps in John Ford's 1946 classic, My Darling Clementine. Considered a master of the Western, Ford draws from largely fictional accounts of Wyatt Earp, culminating with the shootout at the OK Corral. The film stars Henry Fonda as the famous Marshal, but is he truly the protagonist? An ensemble picture through and through, My Darling Clementine features Doc Holliday, the villainous Clantons, and the eponymous Clementine Carter, Doc's ex. Shot in Ford's staple, Monument Valley, Clementine is a classic example of Western adventure and melodrama, with Ford's signature visuals and pacing. Join Nate and me as we take a shot or two of Tombstone Whiskey. So Nate, I figured it was time that we kind of dive into the, the Western genre. I realized that was something we hadn't done yet. Um, and going back to, to John Ford, I thought would be appropriate. There's a couple John Ford pictures in the Criterion Collection, this one and um, Stagecoach. And hopefully they'll do some more down the road. Hey, it's been a long time since I've, I've watched a John Ford movie, actually, so it's kind of nice to... Uh, to dive into this one, um, I thought we'd just start, uh, you know, talking about westerns in general. You know, how do you feel about the genre and uh, something? Is it a genre you, you enjoy? And maybe we can even mention a few of our our favorite westerns as we uh, get started here. I love the western genre. I think it's um, a very unique and distinctly American genre. Of course, that being said, there's obviously been other nationalities that have taken it up and there's certainly parallels to other storytelling uh, styles and structures that you'll find in Europe or in Asia but there's something about the western that is decidedly american right and i think certainly as a as a genre it's fascinating to study there's many excellent examples of the genre and then there's of course a variety of subgenres within it the Spaghetti Western being perhaps one of the most famous subgenres of the of the Western genre. So I think it's a it's a great genre. I I love it, and I would fancy myself to be an aficionado of it, and probably have a fairly good knowledge of it. Uh, that being said, I'm by no means an expert, but I think um, you can't go wrong in trying to talk about the from the directorial standpoint, at least. Uh, John Ford as a, a great influence in the genre and really having a unique stamp on it. But there's other great directors, too. Uh, you can look at Anthony Mann, who did a lot of great work in the 1950s in the genre. Bud Buttaker is one that's maybe not as famously known to people, but was a great and very efficient director uh, for the genre. And then if you're going to the maybe other big names, Sergio Leone would be another one of the stalwarts of the genre. And you can't say enough about Clint Eastwood as he uh, as a star, but also as a director. He directed some truly incredible genre pieces uh, as well. So it's uh, it's a great genre. I love the genre of the western. Yeah, I've always enjoyed it too. I mean, I think it has. I mean, there's so many different kinds of stories you can tell, you know. And, and I think you summed it up well to say it's distinctly American genre, even though some of the greatest examples were not made by American filmmakers. 
which is always kind of interesting. Um, and we think of Sergio Leone a lot in this genre and, and he definitely made some great films and it's, I, I guess it kind of speaks to the, the kind of intoxicating romantic quality of the genre that it, uh, kind of crosses borders in that regard and inspires even filmmakers from other countries. Um, you know, Kurosawa being another prime example of that, you know, he was definitely a big fan of, of John Ford. And I think you can see the influence is pretty clear, especially, uh, in this picture. Um, so any, any chance I can make a Kurosawa connection, of course, I'm going to do that. But, um, I, I, any just, uh, favorite Westerns that you have, uh, uh, that you you think fondly of? Oh gosh, there's so many of them. Uh, I um, it's a tall order there. In terms of you know, I would say, Unforgiven is I think the best western ever made. Uh, I really do think that's just an incredible achievement, and so I, I have to. Yeah, it's give, a great film. Yeah, I have to give special credit to that. But as far as some of the other ones, maybe some of the lesser known westerns that I've really liked, The Naked Spur is one that I've always really liked. Winchester seventy three. These are ones with Jimmy Stewart. That yeah. people don't think of, they think of him with Frank Capra, but he had a rather diverse career and had a lot of success in the westerns. Just isn't necessarily something people think about all these years removed. Uh, of course, if we're looking at John Ford, uh, The Searchers, Stagecoach, uh, Cheyenne Autumn. Uh, so those are some of the great ones there. And um, I, I always had a, if you're looking at some of the more recent things, though, know, these kind of what they call modern westerns. I'm thinking of things like The Three Burials of Melchiades Estrada by Tommy Lee Jones or uh, No Country for Old Men by the yeah, Coen Brothers. A, I mean, those are great films too. Yeah, Melchiades Estrada. I mean, that's no one talks about that movie, you know, but it, it's a great movie. Yeah, it's a shame. It just completely slipped under the radar. It's the kind of movie Sam Peckinpah would have made. Yeah, yeah. Well, we should mention Peckinpah too, of course. Yeah. I mean, with The Wild Bunch and... Pat Garrett you know, and Bill a lot the Kid. Of directors, yeah, I mean they've put their stamp on this genre, and and it's certainly evolved over the years. I mean, you could almost consider uh, Unforgiven to be for, uh, very much kind of a postmodern western in some ways. I mean, I I hate to use that term postmodernism because I think it's overused and probably not the most accurate descriptor. But I, you know that film is informed by everything that's come before it, not only from that's the standpoint of the Western as a genre, but even Clint Eastwood's own career and, and the characters he's played in the past. So there's so many layers to that film, which I think, I, I mean, as just a standalone Western, it's great, but uh, the depth of, of what that film I think is really trying to do or what it, what it accomplishes um, is pretty incredible. I mean, it, within the context of, of cinematic history in general, I mean, it's uh it's a pretty unique piece of work but yeah it's it's a lot of fun and and i think you know hopefully there'll still be westerns made in the future i it doesn't seem to be a genre that is tapped into very often but every once in a while a new one will crop up here and there so i think uh hopefully it'll continue to live on it's a great genre in that it uh, it is a, a thoroughly entertaining genre. I mean, most westerns are going to be pretty entertaining. Now, granted, yeah. there are people who just simply don't like it, and I get that, right? But 
it does have just sort of a broad appeal to it in terms of it's very cinematic, usually very striking locations, usually a fairly um, filmable storyline and characterizations, but it does also provide plenty of room for thematic exploration uh, as a genre. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it does have such a long history. And even though it's, as you are point, alluding to, it's not particularly frequent that the genre is employed now, it nonetheless does come back. And even you can look at something like the film Logan that came out a few years ago. That was in many ways a superhero Western. It was kind of the idea yeah. of the lone, the the old gunslinger, uh, you know, kind of his last adventure, trying to find peace. Uh, you know, it, it had that sort of feel to it, right? So it does have a way of creeping into even other areas of filmmaking. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get into my darling Clementine uh, specifically. You know, I, I guess I picked this one because I I feel like maybe it's one that's not talked about very much, even though it's considered by some to be John Ford's uh, best western. I, I don't know if I would agree with that. I mean, I think it's it's really strong, but it also kind of gives us an opportunity to talk about just the character of Wyatt, Wyatt Earp and the cinematic interpretations of Wyatt Earp. Um, you know, let's, I, I guess we can just start there. You know, I, other filmed versions of Wyatt Earp, there are many. I mean, I guess the most famous being um, probably Tombstone and, and of course the film Wyatt Earp starring Kevin Costner. And uh, any thoughts on, kind of the depiction of Wyatt Earp's character, not only in this film, but uh, other films that have, have featured him. It's kind of a fitting follow-up to our conversation last month about Spartacus, in which we talked about how Spartacus is more legend than historical figure at this point, right? Uh, you, yeah. you can kind of project whatever you need to onto him because the actual historical man is almost a non-entity in our imagination. Wyatt Earp functions in very much the same way. Uh, now, there's obviously a lot more history because it's a lot more recent, but even then, you know, the sort of new r- revising of the historical record of Wyatt Earp as a person is also coming at it with, I think, a lot of different agendas, too. So how much is that new interpretation of him entirely free of uh, ideology, right? So I, I think as, as far as looking at Wyatt Earp, as a man, I mean, he's a very complex individual, right? And uh, historically speaking, he wasn't a particularly heroic figure and yeah. uh, was involved, in, was a professional gambler, had a mixture of success and failure as a law enforcer, uh, was not a particularly good shot. It was uh, um, not actually the OK Corral, right? Which didn't even technically take place at the OK Corral, took place in an empty lot behind it. Uh, that that mm-hmm. gunfight, he wasn't even a major figure that in that, right? Uh, it was more his brother Virgil that was uh, specifically uh, steerheading that. And, of course, the events of it aren't anything like what's being depicted in these different movies. So I think when I look at Wyatt Earp, I see him as mythic. And that probably was what he was going for in terms of how he sold himself uh, with Stuart Lake's novel, Fr- uh, Frontier Marshal, uh, was this idea of kind of creating a, a picturesque vision of himself. And to what extent did some of these earlier films know or understand that that was the case? I don't know. 
I think by the time we look at things like Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp or the uh, um, uh, Tombstone, uh, George Cosmatos, I think, uh, did that uh, as the director. Yeah. Uh, these are films that definitely know, by that point in time, the historical record, but still choose to employ the myth, right, uh, of who he was. There may be a little more bringing in some of the questionable elements of him, uh, but I think as far as looking at My Darling Clementine, uh, it's, I think, as far removed from the actual historical figure of Wyatt Earp as could possibly be to a point so far that you might even think it would have made sense not to even use the historical names because no character in this, not even the way they stage or set Tombstone, I mean, here it's being depicted in Monument Valley, which is in Utah, not Arizona. Um, it's, you kind of go like, what's the point of even having these things, uh, these historical touchstones, when the film is so removed from history? Um, so I think from a filmmaking point of view, from a storytelling point of view, Wyatt Earp, he's just a myth. Yeah, I, I think that's the appropriate way to look at that character. And, and I, you know, John Ford, I don't think he's interested in an accurate depiction of history here. I mean, partially because the, the true historical account is just not as interesting, right? So, I mean, he is interested in the the mythical proportions of Wyatt Earp. Um, and, and just the fact that, you know, Wyatt Earp as a man went through all these fictional interpretations in written literature, even prior to films being made. So uh, he, he really became this kind of superhero type figure. And their inclusion here almost... I mean, it's a point to say, uh, is, there inclu- is there inclusion even necessary here? If you didn't know that this was a story about Wyatt Earp, or, I mean, the, the title doesn't exactly give you a hint of that either. So what is the benefit of having these characters? Well, you know, it's still a touchstone for the audience. Uh, it's still thrilling to see an actor like Henry Fonda, you know, play uh, play Wyatt Earp in his kind of own distinct way. So just to have these kind of mythical touchstones for the audience, I think uh, certainly makes the film marketable. But it's it's interesting that this film is titled My Darling Clementine because, I mean, I don't even feel like the character of Clementine is that much of a focus. I mean, she's kind of a, a point of connection between Doc Holliday and, and Wyatt Earp, and, and certainly they're kind of romantic connections with her are important to the story. Uh, but, you know, is that the primary focus here? And, and I guess going back also to other depictions of, of Wyatt Earp. Yeah. Every, every film version kind of almost embodies, uh, you know, the version of Wyatt Earp that we see on screen is really embodied by, you know, the actor that's playing it insofar as the actors bringing their own spin to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So kind of like James Bond, you know, the different actors that play James Bond kind of bring their own style and their own personality to it. And we can see that in different depictions, uh, throughout the different films that have been made here. Henry Fonda is just really kind of a man of few words and he's a very earnest, uh, sort of heartfelt individual, but he, I mean, there's a, a layer of toughness, certainly, too. And he, 
puts his foot down when he has to, and he stands up for what he believes in when he has to. But it's it's kind of there's a sense of sense of gentleness to his character too that I found interesting. Um, but you know, this film is you know who is the protagonist here really? I I, uh, I guess I'll I'll ask you that, Nate, because. I felt like this was really an ensemble picture, I and mean, we're, we're focusing on Wyatt Earp in our initial discussion. But uh, the film really kind of bounces back and forth between you could consider several different protagonists. I mean, at least Doc Holliday and Wyatt, I felt like had pretty equal footing in terms of emphasis. You know, Wyatt is the through line, but but Doc Holliday uh, is clearly a big focus here as well. So, any thoughts on just? John Ford's decisions here or the screenwriter's decisions in terms of what to focus on? Well, I I would say I feel like there isn't much focus in this film, right? I think from the script, the direction, the acting, it's very languid. And it seems to be almost incomplete in a certain sense. I, I don't know that I get the sense that whatever was the intention, the driving force behind this film ever really made it into the final picture. Uh, obviously mm-hmm. there's stories and I assume we'll talk about this a little bit, just about the different, uh, efforts and the editing process and uh, that Ford actually was not happy with some of the changes that were made by Zanuck. Daryl Zanuck, uh, took over the editing and the even ordered reshoots, uh, in the final stages of the production and post-production. So, uh, it's, it's, it, it's a film that's kind of tough to pinpoint, I think, having its purpose, right? Um, you're right. Wider almost is sort of disappears in a sense, even even while he's on screen, you can kind of almost lose sight of him. Um, and part of it, I will say, is I'm not a big Henry Fonda fan. I, I just I've never really thought of him as one of the great movie stars. I know I'm in the minority on this point, and he had obviously a very impressive career, but I've just never found him that interesting to watch on screen. And uh, Another Western he did, the Oxbow Incident, might be an exception to this, but for the most part, he just sort of disappears, right? I just don't find him mm-hmm. a particularly compelling figure. Uh, and that's maybe a weakness I find in this movie, because Wyatt Earp is myth. I think you need to have him be larger than life in the characterization. The Tombstone is a great example of that. Kurt Russell yeah. makes him a big star. And Henry Fonda, I don't know, he's too, it's too damn genteel. Uh, I think for for the part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he brings a very very different uh, depiction to it for sure. I mean, it's not what you would expect the mythic hero uh, to provide, and yeah, you wonder how much of that is direction, how much of that is just well, that's Henry Fonda. Uh, he's a little more soft spoken, and you know, I think of. You know, a lot of people knock uh, Kevin Costner's depiction of Wyatt but I, you know, especially later in that film, I think it's pretty compelling. Uh, the, the he really brings a sense of darkness to that character that you wouldn't expect. And I think um, didn't did Lawrence Kasdan direct that? I he think did. That's right. Yep. Okay. Uh, I guess my uh, my biggest issue with the Costner version is. It's tough to sell him as a younger man in the beginning of the film. <laughs> you know, he's trying to play, I don't know, a twenty-year-old version of himself, right. and then later on, obviously, he's much older. So, 
there are some questionable choices there. But but even in that film, yeah, he's larger than life. He embodies that mythic kind of figure in a very effective way, I think. Uh, but here, it's yeah, it, it, there is a sense of haziness here in terms of what what we're trying to focus on. And that's one thing that really struck me watching it. And it, it's unusual for a film of this period, I think. And I, I don't know if John Ford, you know, it could be a consequence of some of the editing that, that you had mentioned. But I think I read somewhere that, that John Ford didn't even want to make this picture or he was contractually ob- obligated by Fox to do this. So maybe it was just kind of a lack of interest on his part. I don't know. But it does seem to have a lack of focus. And it's it just feels unusual for a film of this period because usually something out of this period is going to be very clear-cut. Here are the good guys. Here are the bad guys. Uh, not really films of this genre in this period don't really have the ambition to depict things with shades of gray that I feel like are here. And... I mean, that could be seen as a positive thing. I think there's a lot of layers here, but it does lose focus, and and it's maybe not quite as narratively compelling as as the film could be. Certainly Ford is a director who was a real artist, you know, and he had, he, not unlike Wyatt Earp, had quite the uh, public persona, which was mostly fictitious. I mean, he created an image of who he was that he wanted everybody to see him as, right? Uh, and so stories of him are legend as well. Now, I think it's very clear to me, if you look at the career of John Ford, there's a pre- and post-war career and attitude, right? So you can see in something like Stagecoach, the pre-war John Ford Western. And that's very much yeah. that clear-cut black and white, good and bad, right? Uh, very clear descriptions of Americana, and then post-war, he becomes more in the shades of gray, more questioning of some of it. And I think this is one where it's kind of a turning point for him. At one level, it is very much the pre-war Americana myth. And it is celebrating that. But it is a more sober celebration, exploration of the myth. The, the lack of film score in this is, I think, very telling, particularly in the yeah. gunfight at the end. Because... Yeah, I noticed that. You really have a more sense of a starkness. I can't help but think that having been in the war and seeing battles play out without a score made Ford conscious of that when he came back. And this is his first film after the war. So I, I think there mm-hmm. are things like this that were starting to emerge. And really, I, I, I just don't get why people think this is a great film because I don't see it. Um, and I wonder to what extent later on in his career when he makes The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which, if you haven't seen that, highly recommend it. It's a great film. Uh, I wonder, is that even a repudiation of My Darling Clementine by Ford himself? Uh, because that's the whole idea of the, the myth of the Western versus the reality and uncovering the, the reality and choosing to still publish the myth. You know, uh, the, So it's, it's a really fascinating film, and this one seems like he still was kind of, I think he honestly genuinely believed the myth of, of Wyatt Earp when he made it. And then probably later on came to see, no, it wasn't even quite what I thought it was. And there's that disillusionment that maybe hits in some of his later works. But I do think there's a more sober mindedness in his direction now than what you would have seen prior to the war. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, there's definitely a shift here and 
yeah, it really struck me the scene with um, White Earp visiting uh, James's grave. And I felt like that was almost a, a eulogy for the young, you know, young men that were lost during World War II. But that's a perfect example of like who's really in charge here because that scene wasn't directed by Ford. It was reshot. What we have isn't the scene that Ford shot uh, because that uh, Zanuck didn't like. He re-edited it and cut it out and then hired some director just to come in and shoot Fonda for a couple days. Okay, well, I didn't realize so. that. That's I didn't know that. That's interesting because, I mean, you know, this is 1946. The war just ended, and Henry Fonda is on screen there talking about the tragedy of losing young 18-year-old kids, mm-hmm. right? It's like, well, how can that not be about the war? Maybe I'm just reading too much. Well, and it might be, you know, because, I mean, Zanuck wouldn't have been ignorant of the war and, you know, the, the death of all the kids that happened in those years, yeah. right? So it may well be. But it's just it's interesting because, like, who's really responsible for this movie then? Yeah. Well, that's – yeah, maybe there's more out there uh, written about it than, than I'm aware of. But, uh, of course, this disc, you know, includes – or the Criterion release includes two cuts of the film. Uh, maybe we should jump into that a little bit. I, I know you said you were watching the preview version. I, I, I didn't get a chance to see that. Uh, what were some of the main differences that struck you there? I know the ending is different. Well, it's subtle differences, right? So it's not like, um, mm. I mean, if you didn't watch them in short succession, I, d- I doubt many people would even notice. A lot of it is uh, the the final version's tighter, right? So it's about six minutes shorter. Zanuck wanted to make it a little speedier, a little less languid than what it was originally. Supposedly, that before the 103-minute version, there was a version that was about two hours in length as well. Um, that is just unknown to anybody. Uh, and who knows if that's really what Ford wanted. I mean, he might've been trimming it down anyway. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think in all honesty, the decisions to edit out certain bits of dialogue probably work in the fav- film's favor. The ending, the difference there is, um, that in the initial way it was staged, right. Uh, with Wyatt and Clementine, he shakes her hand, and then in this one, he gives her a kiss on the cheek uh, in yeah. the final version here. And so, you know, I, as, a, as a cinematic gesture, I'm with the audiences, the test audiences that said they wanted the kiss, right? Uh, as far as thematically for what Ford was maybe going for, the handshake makes more sense. Uh, so, I, but it's again, it's a small difference. It's a subtle difference. I don't think it makes a major impact from one version to the next. Well, and the film still kind of holds a, a languid quality to it, you know, and, and uh, there are some pretty striking kind of shadowy visuals. And I do, you know, I do see uh, influence on Kurosawa, certainly watching this film. I mean, I, I can't help but be reminded by the, you know, the scene where, where wider gets the uh, the drunk Indian out of the bar. It's very very reminiscent of uh, Seven Samurai. And uh, Takashi Shimura's character um, kind of bringing that bandit out of that hut. So you wonder if there was some inspiration here uh, for Kurosawa in terms of that specific scene. But I, I did really enjoy kind of more of that languid 
uh, pacing and visuals in this film. I mean, uh, Ford definitely takes the time just to kind of uh, let shots play out here and there, which is, I think, pretty effective. And again, kind of lends to the film's overall sense of melancholy, which really, and this isn't much of an adventure picture, right? I mean, you just, you really have that sequence toward the end with Wyatt Earp chasing Doc Holliday. That's probably the most fast paced kind of thrilling sequence in the film. Even the shootout toward the end isn't really terribly well staged, you know, but I wonder almost if that's intentional to some degree that John Ford's trying to kind of downplay the, you know, quote unquote heroics of a gun battle like that. Again, this is a post-war period. Uh, so I, just watching this, it, there are certain things that catch you off guard, I think, and things you don't expect to see in a Western about Wyatt Earp. I mean, you expect this larger than life mythic sort of, depiction that's just not here uh so it's it this film is really an anomaly any any thoughts on the cast specifically beyond henry fonda i mean uh victor matures doc holiday is pretty interesting and and a very big departure from you know the modern day depictions of doc holiday you think of uh val kilmer and was it dennis quaid played him in yep mm-hmm in Kasdan's film. You know, our, our modern uh, idea of that character is kind of the the skinny, frail, uh, you know, yeah. a semi-dangerous man riddled with tuberculosis, more, more of an eccentric character, more of an almost comedic character to a degree, whereas here... Uh, it's a very different depiction. He's he's depicted in many ways as much tougher than than Wyatt Earp and uh, still vulnerable in very specific ways. But uh, any other thoughts on on Doc Holliday or the cast in general? Well, you know, it's obviously a lot of the usuals for, in terms of the supporting cast that was sort of the stock company that Ford liked to use. Ward Bond as Morgan Earp, for example, and yeah. Walter Brennan, of course, was just that great character actor, and I really like him as Old Man Clanton. He's actually damn near, damn good and sinister in this, right? Uh, in that role, yeah. so yeah. Uh, I mean, there's really good performances there. I think you're right that the performance of Doc Holliday by Victor Mature is so different than what you'd expect, right? This does not look like a man who's dying of tuberculosis. Uh, he yeah. sounds like he's got a bad cough. That's about it, right? So, um, <laughs> but I don't mind it. I, I really don't. And I think in one sense, they, there is clearly, I think in terms of the casting, because Henry Fonda, I, could it, I mean, obviously he and Ford had a, a long collaboration, but could have easily cast John Wayne in this role, right? If you think John Wayne as legendary lawman, Wyatt Earp would be a big success, right? Um, yeah. So I think what's interesting about the performance by Mature as Doc Holliday is that, as you said, he is very manly and in some sense much more of the um, larger-than-life figure than Wyatt Earp is, right? And so it does have a thematic value in the sense that he is sort of the, the lawlessness of the West and Wyatt Earp is as that more genteel is, I think, meant to be seen as the bringing of civilization, Right, an order, a calm, 
uh, into this land. And so the two men represent these kind of conflicting realities that start to converge and have to be reconciled to one another and ultimately are reconciled to one another through Clementine. Uh, fascinating, you know, just in that uh, the name Clementine fits with the idea of clemency, right? Uh, calmness. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, a, I think, a very fitting title, if, if that's what the film's really about, because I do think that's the film's general consideration, right? Civilization, right? Um, and it's fascinating in that, you know, uh, Victor Mature, his Doc Holliday, is trying to run away, right? Run away from all these things, uh, the civilization, his, his life as, as they play it in this movie as a surgeon in real life, he was a dentist, but, uh, you know, it's just, he's trying to shake off all of the trappings of civilization and be that rugged man and kind of reckless and a death wish, so to speak. And, uh, mature, I think captures that well, even though it's so radically different than what you might think of Doc Holliday. If you grew up watching Val Kimmer play the role, right? Yeah, I, I think that's. I mean, yeah, his character obviously is is trying to flee, and Wyatt Earp is really trying to build something, right? So they're 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 two characters on on opposite trajectories, yet they still kind of make this connection. Um, though the film uh, seems to take place over only maybe a few days at the most, so it's hard to hard to know what kind of a friendship they really forge in the context of this film, but. In other uh, wider films, there always seemed to be a long kind of sorted history between Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, and and they had this kind of deep friendship that that transcended their their own differences in personality and their own differences in terms of how they viewed the law. Uh, but that's I, this film doesn't really just have the opportunity to to develop that level of depth, and and that maybe takes away something from from their connection. Um, but yeah, the cleric, the character of Clementine is obviously the, the kind of catalyst here for their respective transformations. And, um, it's, it's just an unusual picture in general, (laughs) you know, it's just not what you would expect. And it's interesting that, that people kind of pick this out to be either, a favorite Western or, or a favorite John Ford film, because it does seem to be again, kind of in that gray area. And maybe that's what makes it appealing to people. And I, I definitely enjoyed it, but it's, uh, again, I, I do think it's, it's quite the anomaly for sure. And maybe that's part of the appeal is the, how much it does stick out. Right. I mean, yeah. I think Roger Ebert said this was, his thinking, John Ford's greatest Western. And on one level, you can see, I mean, the, the artistry is impressive. The the way in which those sets, uh, those set pieces are handled are pretty solid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, mm-hmm. the cinematography is compositions by Joe McDonald are very good. Uh, I, I think you have some very stately shots of Wyatt Earp, uh, you know, when he's sitting on the the boardwalk, basically, and uh, just looking at everybody walking by, uh, after he's had his barber, uh, right? And so you, so you have those kinds of wonderful moments there. And the the dark shadows, it's a very dark film, uh, almost like a film yeah. noir. I mean, it's very surrealist, uh, impressionistic uh, in terms of its visual imagery. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of rich filmmaking at work here. Uh, so you got to give credit to that. 
it just does strike me as kind of lacking in anything much to say. I, I, I don't know that it has a great focus to it. Whereas when you have something like The Searchers, which John Ford would do 10 years later in 1956, I mean, there's a film loaded with thought, loaded with idea, and also extremely focused, right? Uh, it has the mm-hmm. proper sense of pacing. This one, I just don't feel like there's a real great pacing to it. That's, I know, what a lot of people think of as its great merit. For me, it just seems like it doesn't really ever register. Nothing really co- uh, coalesces for a whole. Individual scenes are interesting, but as a whole, it doesn't seem to really coalesce as something special. Yeah, it, it does seem kind of half-baked, I guess, in some ways. You know, the uh, the focus isn't quite where it needs to be, or it seems like a lot of... It feels like a screenplay that was written by a lot of different people. Like, <laughs> it's maybe one way to kind of summarize it, but... Um, it's it's still an important film. I mean, I, as you said, the first post-war film for John Ford. And it seems to be uh, a favorite for a lot of people, and and I think it's definitely worth seeing for people that that want to uh, be familiar with kind of the more famous films in the Western genre. But um, any any final thoughts before we just talk about the Criterion's release in general? Well, I will say, I, mean, I do appreciate the lack of score uh, that plays in this. I know they've added, uh, the original, the preview version has even less score, but I do like that. I do like that it does have a lot of time to just let the atmosphere play. Uh, so, I mean, I do yeah. think there's something kind of great in, in that direction. Uh, again, it's, it's a good film. I, I shouldn't beat up on it too much because it is a good film. I just think when you hear people say greatest masterpiece things like that i would go i i must be i must be missing it right uh because i'm just not seeing that when i see this film the ending is striking you know and the lack of score i definitely noticed that too and and i think that's a very effective choice but i at first i I thought maybe there's something wrong with the version i was watching because there was no music because it just Again, it just seemed very unusual for a film of this time not to really play up the, a moment like that. I mean, this is like the big heroic, quote-unquote, heroic climax of the picture. Um, yeah, I, it just there's really a sense of of kind of melancholy throughout this whole whole picture, and and how much of that is informed by. John Ford's war experience. Maybe there's some hint of that in a biography somewhere, but that that's a question I definitely had watching this. Well, there's no doubt that it does have a very clear difference of tone from what he made before he went off to the war. Uh, and I think yeah. what we see here is the beginning of a, a maturation in John Ford's work that will continue throughout his career over the next you know, good solid uh, 15 years, right? So it was interesting. To, it is interesting to see it from that framework. So Criterion's release of this uh, has is a 4K restoration of the theatrical release, and then um, that pre-release version of the film, which doesn't have that level of restoration, um 
There's looks like an audio commentary. Uh, did you get much into the extras at all? I did. Yeah, I watched all of them actually. Uh, okay. It's a solid release. Um, I I picked this up a while ago, I, so I can't remember when I got it. But um, you know, it's again just a John Ford film, and it's worth seeing for that fact alone, right? Just to get more of a flavor for him. Um, but I think. You know, as far as the presentation, they did a great job. It looks wonderful. Even the the preview version, you know, it's rougher, but it's still a solid looking transfer for a, especially an unfinished film, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and again, really solid, informative extras all around. Yeah, I watched this uh, digitally, so I, I don't have the the disc, but. Um... It seems like there's quite a bit of material. Uh, definitely goes into the, a comparison of the two versions of the film. Uh, we've got the Lux Radio Theater adaptation, which those are always kind of fun to have playing in the background. And looks like there's a, a silent Western short uh, actually co-starring John Ford. Yep, directed by his, his brother. brother. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh his brother's name is Francis Ford, huh? Mm-hmm. Just, just missing the Coppola. Just missing the Coppola, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, it looks like a great release. I mean, I, obviously people need to be familiar with John Ford, you know, if they haven't seen his films. Uh, very influential director, uh, not only just within the Western genre, but just internationally had a huge impact. So, and and going into his his wartime films too is is pretty interesting for people. I I know there was a documentary on Netflix a while ago that went into the handful of Hollywood directors that made um, that were combat cameramen, and you know there's I, that's a topic I I'd like to kind of dig into more. You know, and I, I need to probably find out you know how much. How much of an impact did the war have, you know, on his on his filmmaking style, on the decisions he made? I, I got to think that's significant, mm-hmm. and I I think my ignorance is probably showing here. But you know, this I think that's the best explanation for what we see in My Darling Clementine. I mean, it's just there's really a sense of of uh, darkness and a sense of disillusionment with the idea of the American mythical hero. And even though the United States was victorious in World War II, you know, the victors aren't spared the disillusionment that comes from war. I guess I disagree. I think, I I don't know that I'd say there's a disillusionment yet. I think that does come later on in Ford's career, but I think here he still believes in it, right? Because Earp still is showing. I don't know. It just seems it just seems so half-hearted to me, you know. But I, I mean, it's well. There, there's a, there's. Don't get me wrong. There's a sense of there's an earnestness to this film. There's a sense of wanting to do the right thing. There's a sense of maintaining honor and loyalty and and maintaining those virtues that that we would commonly associate with with kind of the mythical uh, hero, but. At the same time, the film is not glorifying those aspects in a way that you would expect. Uh, and 
I'm sure that continues to mature and evolve throughout his career. But um, at least it just struck me watching this that, that that's definitely here. Well, I think on one level you're right in that for sure Ford is more sober and it's not as rousing a spectacle. Like the violence is handled very differently here and with a certain reticence. But I still think he's not abandoning the the mythology of America of a Wyatt Earp yet, right? He is, I think, still yeah. showing him that way. I mean, they, it's a very clean version of Wyatt Earp, right? And that's obviously partly due to the fact that you couldn't have had that kind of depiction in 1946 of him as being uh, a man who ran a brothel like he was historically. But yeah. you're going to have still, there's nothing indicating sort of a, a reticence of accepting him as a hero or seeing him as accomplishing good things. It's, I think, more no longer the jingoistic hero that Ford is interested in. I think he's looking at who's the man that can maybe assert a new order, right, that can bring civilization back out of the lawlessness, the the chaos that emerges in the West or from his just recent experience of the war. So I think that's Mm -hmm. what the focus is here. Um, It's probably just so obvious that it's kind of a little boring, you know, especially nowadays. Uh, Maybe in 1946, the themes would have been a lot more resonant or they may have been a little more shocking. Um, But... I think as far as this film goes, that's the theme. That's the general thought. And it's, it is actually a very much an affirming of America, right? An affirming of the hero. Yeah. I I mean, I think there's a level of affirmation, but it just, it, it, again, it just doesn't seem as enthusiastic to me, but maybe that's just my own. Well, like I said, sober, right? I mean, it seems more sober and more mature. And then I think that will grow in his career after this. So, Nate, I think we, we probably know the answer to this question already, but uh, My Darling Clementine, does it belong in the Criterion Collection? I'm going to say no. Uh, obviously, I know a lot of people would disagree. They think it does belong there. They think it's one of his greatest works. I think if you're looking for a John Ford film, this is not a great example of it. I don't know that it is doing anything really unique or special with the genre of the Western. So I think it would not belong in the the Criterion Collection. Yeah, I guess I, I would agree with you. I mean, I think, again, it's an anomaly. I think it's an interesting film. I think it's entertaining. I think there's a lot to admire about it. Uh, but it is unfocused, and I think it has issues. And I think some of the conflict behind the camera is, you know, manifests itself on screen. But it's still worth seeking out, and Criterion's release um, sounds like has a lot of good extra material as well for those that are interested in it. So um, just probably not not John Ford's finest hour. I would agree, but hopefully one day we will get a great Criterion edition of The Searchers. That's my, my great hope, is that that film will be picked up by Criterion at some point, and they'll do a great job with it. Well, thanks for listening uh, to our conversation this evening. Our next film will be Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, which will be released the first Friday in June. Thanks again for listening, and have a pleasant evening.